Sanchar. This is Marsha Vaughn, and I'm happy to welcome you to this month's episode of The Talk About, a podcast series that we are proud to present to all of Ochar's members. Today I'm here with two-thirds of our uh, podcast panel of experts, Jackie Tanner and Jay Kreller. Sadly, Nada Bozinski was not able to be with us today, but we're thrilled to have Jackie and Jay to address some tough questions. So today's episode is going to be about things that clients ask or situations they present you with that might be challenging to answer. What we're aiming for here is how do we handle those difficult situations professionally, tactfully, and probably most important, legally. Jay and Jackie, welcome. Glad to be here. So am I. (laughs) All right, so client says, I don't want to live in a neighborhood where there are pickup trucks in everyone's driveway. Those aren't my... Well, I have a pickup truck (laughs) in my driveway. (laughs) Now, it does have a Peace Love Zydeco sticker on it. Well, what they're saying is they don't want to live in a redneck neighborhood. Redneck is not a, not a protected class. Well, I guess that's a good point, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be um, mindful. Oh, you want to be diplomatic now? <laughs> well, <All right. laughs> we, should, we should be mindful of discriminating against anybody, whether it's a legal issue or not. Um, and I think for, I was discussing this with somebody else earlier. The, these questions get asked a lot. This is part of why I am very, very grateful for having uh, you know, hung around very experienced agents and listening to a lot of their stories because that's the sort of stuff you did not get taught in real estate school. But we get asked these kinds of questions. I don't know, it's, it's not out of any kind of horrible prejudice. It's more of a sense of wanting to be comfortable. Okay, so I'm going to take over here for a minute because this question is one that actually I put forth because it was a question that a, or a comment that a client made to me. And this was a client who also said to me, she was actually very funny, but she to some people could be offensive. And she said, um, one of the, I, maybe in our first meeting, she said, okay, I'm a snob. There, I said it. And then she went on to say things like, you know, no pickup trucks. And what I did is I used it as an, uh, an opportunity to educate her about how popular pickup trucks are and that in high-end neighborhoods, some of the, the wealthiest men in particular are driving big, fancy pickup trucks. So regardless of the neighborhood, she's going to see a lot of pickup trucks. It's just the the nature of the auto market right now. Somebody says something to me that I think is, uh, could be perceived as being discriminatory, even though I totally understand the vein you know, that they're, they're coming from, my instinct is to then try and educate them and open their minds a little bit because I think, as, as in most cases when discrimination <laughs> is a factor, that you might be pleasantly surprised if you allow space for additional information to come into your thinking. And, you know, I have a bumper sticker somewhere that says, if minds are like parachutes, they only function when open. Um, And so this is, yes, I'm not, a lot of times people say these things in jest. They will present themselves as being funny. So what you're presenting is, in yourself, 
is a more liberal, open-minded person. And if you're working with somebody who is not going to be able to relate to that or hear it well, how do you handle that? Well, I think what you're, it sounds like what you're referring to is like political there. Um, that is definitely sometimes the case, but I don't view the definition of the word liberal as actually being a political statement. I, it literally means open-minded. And I've met plenty of uh, people from the other side of the political aisle than I am who can be open-minded, right? So I, I actually don't like the fact that politics has taken over the use of and the definition of the word liberal. I, mm-hmm. I find that objectionable. But again, it's I think anytime somebody has a preconceived notion about something, and I think it's going to affect their, in this case, real estate journey, I'm going to do my best to just introduce information that may or may not change their mind. I, I want a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> and Jay has no, one. And I have one. one. So, so there you go. Jay, what do you think? Well, I don't know that it's... I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that it's in the client's best interest to not listen to the meaning behind the words and go, they want to live someplace where they feel comfortable. So... I am going to take a slightly different approach than Jackie and say, I'm not necessarily looking to educate them. I'm not looking to open their mind. I may want to broaden their comfort zone a little bit. I may want to broaden the comfort zone. But I also kind of like, okay, I'm a, I'm a butch lesbian. I don't want to live in a place where everybody's going to be mocking me every day. I don't want to live in a neighborhood where I kind of feel like everybody's going to be pointing at me going, oh, no, that's that one. Jay, you know? I completely get that because relatedness is really important to me and the community I live in. But how, how can we as realtors address that legally? Well, again, this, again, we're talking about an ideology. We're not talking about a protected class. So if I tell someone, you know mm. what? Hmm. You, you're working with me, you see me, you know who and what I am, and you're hmm. okay with that, and you're just going to have to trust that I'm okay with you living in this neighborhood. I don't think you're going to feel uncomfortable. I don't think you're not going to get what you want, even if you see a bunch of pickup trucks. You know, it's... Pickup trucks are everywhere in the the most high-end neighborhoods. No, I know, but I think part of the reason that this question is interesting is it's not really just about pickup trucks, is it? It's not at all about pickup trucks. We get into the fact that this does get into fair housing, Uh and there are people who ask questions, and they're not about pickup trucks, and they ask them very directly, and I always find it, it's a really difficult line to walk, because I understand somebody saying, I want to live somewhere where I feel welcome, where people are like me, and are relatable. And not necessarily all like me, not, but, right. but that I, we that enjoy doing the same thing. We're not necessarily we have looking for homogeny. We're not right. looking for everybody being the same. We're just, they. what they're basically saying when they're saying, I don't want to be in a neighborhood full of pickup trucks, is because they have a preconceived notion that everybody driving a pickup truck has a certain ideology. And that's what they need to understand is that, hey, not everybody with a pickup truck has that ideology. That's okay. But... I want to make sure, as my client, that you're in a place that I believe you're going to feel comfortable given the parameters you've given me. 
barring crossing any lines that we can't cross for fair housing. For good reason. And But the other thing there is I would much prefer my client be brutally honest with me about what they want and what they're looking for because without that, it makes it far more difficult for me to help them find the right, mm -hmm. and not necessarily the right house, right? Because that part's easy. Three bedrooms, two bars, whatever, that's easy. It's the lifestyle and the neighborhood that is really, you know, the most important factor to a, a good listening real estate agent is going to help their, guide their client. And so these questions are, you know, fundamental to being able to help them and giving them the space to be able to say, this is what is important to me and these are the things that are going to affect my thinking. And then I think we just need to be, we need to be open-minded enough not to judge them for having mm -hmm. whatever prejudice it is that they have and try and help them get to a place mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. you know, they can, I, whatever you want to call it, open minds or whatever. But uh, yeah, that they realize that that might not be the best factor with which to judge where they might be most comfortable living. So I think each one of us as realtors and as human beings, we go through life, uh, especially in this country where there's so much division, and we have our own style of how to talk to people who feel differently than we do. And as realtors, then we have to translate it into what's legal. And so, uh, Jay, you talked about protected class, and that fits in with the next question, which is, we all hear a lot. We want to live in a neighborhood where there are lots of young families. Can you help us find that? Ooh. <laughs> that's, that, is, that is the finest line I think we dance. Yes. That's the finest line. And we, because you want to help them. You know they're not trying to be discriminatory. That's not their intent with the question. They just want to make sure that when their kids run out, they've got other kids to play with. But we're hamstrung on that one. As realtors, we're hamstrung. So we can't say specifically, mm -hmm. yes, this is a kid-friendly neighborhood. So are there things that you say to draw attention to or, or try to point out, especially if it's a first-time home buyer? Boy, look at the neighborhood around and um, you know, see if there's playground equipment. That's definitely something that we emphasize when we're looking around. It's like, look, there are things that you want in a neighborhood that I'm not legally allowed to talk about. Yep. But if we're driving around and you see things that indicate to you that this is the kind of neighborhood you want, just make sure I hear it. Right. I really like... Great idea. I really like Southern Village. I, I already know that means you've got, you know, you probably have young kids and you want those kids to be able to run out the door and go to school and go to middle school without having to leave the neighborhood and, and run out and literally play with other kids. I had one client literally closed, came, brought them their little welcome thing into their house in Southern Village, walked into the house, the movers were there, the people were there, the kids were there, and I'm like, those aren't your kids. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they're the neighbor's kids. Our kids, I don't know where they are. That was their first day in Southern Village. That's that's a neighborhood that has that feel Invites to it, that, yeah. right? But, but, we, but can't we can't say, say that. that. But driving around, looking at different neighborhoods, seeing the proximity, seeing who's walking around the neighborhoods, that told them all they needed to know. Yeah. So I usually direct people uh, to online resources or tell them to literally get in the car and drive around when it's time for the school bus to empty out and and see for themselves mm -hmm. what 
you know, if, if what they're looking for exists in the neighborhood in which they're interested. Uh, a lot of people will say, boy, first thing on our must-have list is to find a house that's walking distance to coffee shops and restaurants. This is so common when people think about moving to Chapel Hill and Carborough. They think, oh, we will live in that charming village environment. And I'm sure for our $500,000, we can buy a cute little house that is positioned so that we can walk to everything. I have this going on right now. And then Welcome I was, to 2005. <laughs> and then I was told the price point was 315000 <laughs> which is, yeah, I mean, we're not going to be living in Chapel Hill for that. I mean, that's the kind of client that speaks to my own heart, though. When I hear those things, that's music to my ears, because that's what's really? important to me. Is even I if grew they up, don't have millions of dollars? Even if they don't have millions of dollars, I have... I have been told something about the client that I really personally relate to and I will do my best to get them as close to what it is that they're looking for even if it's not you know being able to walk literally to, to the downtown coffee mm-hmm. shop you know let's tease out what the really imp- what are they actually looking for there a sense of community I mean is it the coffee literally or is it the sense of community mm-hmm. is it a place to go work from your laptop it, mm-hmm. what is it Right? I, I think things like that always, for me, then I have a million other questions that I'm going to ask as a result of that initial prompt so that I can have a really a full understanding of, of what they think it is that they're asking for. A good realtor is always going to take that first prompt and ask the other questions. Right. Because it's the priorities. You're trying to understand their priorities. Everybody says walking distance. <laughs> What's the priority? What is the... And, and that's, you're good mm-hmm. at that. And that's what your client seeing you and it's like I want to know what the motivation behind that walking to a coffee shop is oh that's brilliant because I think too often and I think I've done this I just think oh I'm about to dash their dreams (laughs) you know but I mean I'm not a coffee drinker but I know for serious coffee drinkers if they can't walk to their coffee shop light their quality of life is not as good as they want it to be but at some point we have to acknowledge we're not New York City right right we're not walking to everything you know, you yeah. have a few choices. We have a few neighborhoods with walking proximity, a shop. right? But we don't have every neighborhood doesn't provide that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a commodity that everybody wants, but not everybody is going to get. How close do you think they want things to be? When I mean, like I'm thinking about my old neighborhood. You could get to a coffee shop if you were willing to walk a mile. Mm-hmm. So there's early on in my career, I learned very quickly how relative everything is and so when people today say I don't want a long commute or I don't want a cookie cutter neighborhood or that's just two off the top of my head okay well what do you comp- what do you mean <laughs> what is a long commute from you are you For moving you. here from yeah. Atlanta or are you moving here from Bynum right like is because for some people they've been commuting over an hour and for me, a long commute would be 40 minutes. So I, I mm-hmm. have to quickly, you know, get yeah. whatever that... Same thing with, with cookie cutter. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Like, define terms. <laughs> Make sure to define the terms and really understand what it is somebody's saying. The essential it, message that you're putting out there is keep asking questions. Yes. Keep asking the questions, getting to the root of what they really want. Correct. Yes. So, Jay, I think maybe you might want to take this next one. 
a client says, well, I can afford a $500,000 house, and you know that's true, but I would never spend that much, even though those are the listings I like best. I would say, have you seriously considered therapy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. You're, you're basically saying, the houses I like best are 500000 I can afford that, but I am never going to spend that much on a house. So what is it about yourself that tells yourself that you shouldn't have all the things that you want in life? You need therapy. You don't need a realtor. You need a therapist. And that's not what we do sometimes. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's mostly what we do. I concede it's mostly what we do. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm a little speechless here. I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Big fan of therapy myself. But um, how, how do you say that to somebody? Because I've had clients who have that position, and I can tell it's because they are very proud of being financially right. um, stingy is not the word, but you know what I mean. Uh, sensible. Well, they think it's sensible, yeah. But you're looking at their financials thinking, oh, come on. It is sensible. If you're looking at their financials and you're being responsible and they're telling you this is what we can afford, this is what we like, but we're not going to do it, there's an underlying issue there that needs to be addressed. This is not a question of, I'm not worth this is it. not something a realtor can fix. So this is somebody telling themselves, I do not deserve what I have, what I am capable of getting myself in life. So I, I think that might sometimes be legitimate, but not all the time. I mean, I, I think that, so when somebody says things like that to me, I start talking about how the real estate market got into trouble in 2007, 2008. Oh, okay. That's right? Banks were lending way more money than they should ever lend people, and I think those who listened and paid attention to what went wrong there, sort of, and especially if they're trying to make a good first impression on you, the realtor, that they're just meeting for the first time, and they want to come across as somebody who's intelligent and well-educated and, and smart and has done their research, and they're telling you, you know what, the bank says I can borrow this much, and, and I think there's, that's where I'd like to make the difference. I can afford this or the bank is willing to lend me this. Those are two very, very different things. But the question was, I can afford. Well, that was the question. Not I the think, bank will lend. I think people, I can afford it. Different people, but I'm not doing it. Different people will understand something different from the I can afford. Some people think when the bank says I can lend you this that they can afford yeah. it. Other people say afford by they have, you know, they've had good education whatever mm -hmm. and they understand their own limitations right. even if the bank says they'll mm -hmm. lend you x yeah. and i think so back to the you know previous things here ask the questions and find out what the def definition is here and then what do we have to work with if it's someone who really feels that way about themselves i will take them out and i will show them the houses that are within the budget they have set themselves i mm -hmm. am not going to push their price point ever I ne never push mm -mm. the price point. Nope. <laughs> that's not, but that's not the question. The question is, I can afford it. I'm not going to do it. How? Even though it's the only thing I want to look at. But how many people actually end up? I've, I've had two different people say this to me. And in both cases, they have numbers in their minds. Well, you know, a client who could afford a million dollars, but she said, but um, we paid three fifty dollars for our house. And that, so that other number is just ridiculous. I could never do that. But it was 20 years ago that they paid 350 and she right. stuck on that number or this attitude. Well, I grew up in Podunk, 
you know, wherever, and that's who I am. In my heart and soul, I am more comfortable in a lower socioeconomic status. We should go back to talking about what the bank says you can do versus what you can afford. Yeah. Because those are two different questions. They are. That's my point. Okay. And, like, and, I, and I think that's that a very a... valid point. And I, want, I want to come on board to saying I totally agree with you that what someone can afford and what the bank says they can afford are two different things. Because I have counseled clients for years, don't go to your max, don't go to your max. Now, admittedly, I backtracked on that when they were giving money away at 2.75 mm-hmm. and, and 3%. I was advising clients. Go ahead, go to your max, because you're never going to have access to money this cheaply again. But now with interest rates crossing over the seven number, I'm back to preaching the keep it what you keep it at what you can afford, keep it at what feels comfortable to you. If you really want to be a good advocate for somebody, you have to understand what their financial issues are or what their financial abilities are. You know, you have to understand that as a client, to, okay. as, a, as an agent, to help your client get, mm-hmm. make the best decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, we, we were taught how to do the, the calculations to actually qualify somebody. And mm-hmm. the, the mortgage products that exist today when, did not exist then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it was really basic. And we were the ones sitting there figuring out the debt to income ratios and the, you know, the third of their income and et cetera, et cetera. And we were the ones essentially pre-qualifying them. And I've never forgotten that, right? Like that is still a part mm-hmm. of what I carry with me. Now, today I tell them, I tell them that. I say, this is what I, I used to have to do. Now I'm going to have to send you to these, you know, here are three or four mortgage brokers. Um, and here, but, and, but here's how you need to think about what you're going to be presented with. And then you come back to me and tell me where your comfort zone is. And yes. then we will try and plug that in to as many of your wish list checkpoints as we can. And then we're going to figure out whether you want to go below what you, they've told you you can do or above what you're comfortable doing. And all of those pieces are going to have to fit dovetail together. But you're, you know, you are going to make those choices. I'm going to give you, along with these mortgage brokers, the tools with which to craft your own little picture here that best fits your needs yeah. in a in a mindful and sensible way. But it's really key when you're dealing with a client to make sure that they're not hung up on a principle that's getting in their own way. I I, I agree with that. I'm 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 recalling a particular client you know, a couple of decades ago at this point, um, who absolutely, he the median price for a house here was X, and he was not gonna spend more than X. And we spent months looking and looking that. and looking. <laughs> and I don't mind doing that. If that's what somebody's process is, and that's the time they need to take to come to their own realizations, I will be there for them. I absolutely will. And I, I was telling somebody earlier, that person told me no Southern Village and not over this price point. Where did they buy? Southern Village <laughs> and way over their initial price point. And, and, but there was a point at which he hugged me and told me that I was acting like a therapist <laughs> and that he had to get over this you know, fixation of him his on this number. Um, mm-hmm. And once he allowed himself to do that, then they found a house and, you know, that, that the, the, the beautiful thing that you did there is you gave them time mm-hmm. and right. that because that is a process that is a, a mental health development process that takes time 
this is also something that a lot of younger agents don't necessarily understand that you have to sometimes you have to invest a lot of time with someone until they understand themselves a little bit better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do is therapy. No, it is. I get told that on a, on a regular on the daily, basis. On yes. the daily. I get asked, do you get paid for being a therapist? Yep. Like, the number of times I've had that from clients. Yep, me too. Because, again, part of our job is helping them understand what their priorities are. This goes back to that other question. But it comes back to the question with the money, too. What is your priority? Is your priority that bottom line, or is your priority being happy in your house? I love that. I love that. So following with the theme of financial attitudes, you've got a client that will say, I would never pay more than $1,500 in due diligence. That would be crazy. Well, I don't disagree. I think it is insane. But <laughs> do you want a house? <laughs> Education happens then. And that can take time, too. That can take time, too. And, and often it takes them losing a house or two Mm -hmm. And then me coming back to them and saying, our due diligence is never probably going to land a good house. Mm -hmm. It may land a house that nobody else wants. Mm -hmm. But do you really want the house that nobody else wants? If you want a house that somebody else wants, due diligence is a competitive model, which, by the way, as long as you close on the house, you get it back. You're not throwing it away. Right. But yes, it is, it is a risk, and I totally agree that it's crazy. On the surface, that's crazy to do that without inspections, without appraisals, without all this other stuff. But that's why you need a good buyer's agent. You need a good buyer's agent who's looking at the numbers, who's looking at the house and going, I think your risk is minimal. I think you need to go big on due diligence in order to land this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you can say to your client, if you've got 80000 that you're going to bring to the closing table, and you really want this house, then put down $80,000 in due diligence. If you're not going to walk away from 5000 then why not put down whatever you have? 50? Once you hit yeah. the well, number... If you're in, you're in. Once you Go hit the in. number you're not going to walk away from, everything no, else is just window dressing. Yeah. So if, yeah. If, if you think about it that way, and it will get you the house, you just have to think about it that way. Again, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, you relate to them about understanding the discomfort that there is with seemingly handing over a whole ton of money <laughs> to somebody as a non-refundable deposit. It just doesn't seem fair. But then, and I think we may have talked about this on a previous podcast, but that's where I also then talk about the context of how it evolved to how we get to this place of having due diligence and that I actually like it. It is a clear line in it's the sand. Clear, it's a clear line. It is, this is how we play fairly. This is how it got played before we had this, and boy, was that not fair. And, Correct. you know, mm -hmm. none of us saw this market coming that, that has happened over the last five years. And I think, you know, due diligence wasn't conceived of with that in mind because, boy, did it get out of, out of whack. But it's coming, um, it's coming much But I think it, it is, is coming also calming way down. down. It's coming way down now. Although the last thing I put under contract, we went way above asking 50 grand in due diligence, and, and the due diligence is what got it for us. In fact, yeah. I think there were 50, hmm. 14 offers or something. I, I okay. promise so, you, in the last three competing offers, or what I call bake-offs, that we won, the last three bake-offs we won were all about the due diligence. So does that mean that people are coming back So the the price? This is... This is the doll. I get the it? last bite. I get oh. the last bite. <laughs> I get the last bite every time. 
this is what I'm having a really hard time with now is what is shifting here? Is it the price? Is it the due diligence and my senses, which I, sounds like you agree, is that the prices aren't going you know, way, way, way over anymore. But if they can do the due diligence in order to get it, that's what they're gonna yeah. do. So yeah, again, it's, I, I write the offers with the big due diligence. Um, I try and do as thorough a look at the house of as course. we possibly yeah, can. In the, in the I don't want to. I don't want to go over a cliff on this, but remember, Jay crawls in the crawl spaces no matter how shallow they are. <laughs> so do I. Hang on. So do I. Do you get and the, on the roof. Do you get in the little ones? And too? in the yes. you should not be on the roof. I can't always get in the little ones. I'm just saying, but but yeah. So we we try as much as we can to protect our clients. But if they really want the house. The way to land the house is to go big on the due diligence yep. number and then just ask for the counter. If we're not the highest price, just counter. If everything else about the offer is golden, the sellers see that $100,000 or whatever we've put down in due diligence and they go, look, can you counter them with this price? And we get that counter every time. And remember, that puts, wow. the, that puts it back on the buyer because if the buyer doesn't want to pay that price, they just say, yeah, no, we're out. But they get the last bite. I've gotten a bunch of pushback from people though with that saying, um, no, there's if it's best and final, I can, you know, they just don't understand that they can counter you. It doesn't matter how. I you know. always very diplomatically write into the offer that the, we are inviting the seller to exercise their right to counter. Exercise their right. Beautiful. To counter. Beautiful. Okay. I'll try wording it that way next time. <laughs> okay. Their financial question. You're at a listing presentation, and you, when you list a house now, I'm a 50-50 split girl all the way. I will not net more than the other side. Mm -hmm. I decided at some point in the game that I work 10 times harder as a listing agent than I do as a buyer's agent. I will spend more actual cash dollars on a listing. But as my, you know, my lovely sister told me a long time ago that I should think of my time also as money. Right. And in right. terms of like self, yep. um, self-care, self-preservation, self-awareness, like mm -hmm. I need to, and there are, there are buyers just like that was previously stated where I have to be with them for their whole therapy uh, journey <laughs> of, you know, discovering And themselves. this is a journey of months yes. sometimes, mm -hmm. months. And my longest client was five years. My mm -hmm. longest yep. buyer client five was <laughs> five years. We landed it after five years, but we did. There's a reason that the old adage in real estate was you have to list to exist because everybody knows you can carry 12 listings. You can't carry 12 buyers and work them effectively because buyers take too much time. <laughs> Jackie's doing it right you, now. You gotta so. cap it, right? You gotta yeah. cap it because yeah. the buyers take they too much take time. You have, to, yeah. you have to go to the house. You have to physically see the house. You have to mm -hmm. research the houses they're looking at as though you're listing it because the listing agent may or may not have brought everything. So my personality is such that it's far more taxing for me to list a home than it is for me to represent buyers. Not in terms of time necessarily, but I, again, I I'm not I the one that, that we... I, I, I think get it's that. a good I debate, and I, and I get that. Like, I think a lot of agents, when they start out, choose to work with buyers because it's a lot less taxing, like you're saying, at least. Um, well, you're not they, in a hot seat 24-7. You're not blamed right, for everything right. that's wrong with their house. It's Yeah, I think this has much to do with my personality, and I'm sure some of the agents listening to this can relate, but we don't need to debate that. I think it's just 
depends on the person. Let's be honest. Let's let's break this down and be honest. Which part of our job could be automated and taken away from us? The listing side. If someone created a listing input sheet that a seller filled out and it went out into the world in MLS and then it was a question of the buyer's agents verifying all that information, which we still have to do, the listing side could be automated. But who's, the buying side can't because that's about help? access. That's about time. Well, that's but I think traveling. that's where Jay, all these I companies think... that are, they are, that's exactly what they're trying to do, these market disruptors. And, and from where I sit, they are failing miserably. They're failing miserably. Okay. Why? But... Why? Because you can't automate exactly. it. Exactly. You can't. You, what no, about you... the staging? What about the advice giving? What well, about the... there's that. You know, there's understanding the nuances of a of difference between two houses side by side yeah. who have the same square footage and the same bedroom count and why is one of them worth more than the other? And right. what is an automated system going to do with a seller, a recently widowed seller who wants you to list her house but can't stop crying at meeting after meeting after meeting? They need, they need assistance and they need help to sell. But let's be honest, in our market right now, if you had, if you had a marketable house and it was in good condition and you put the basic information of that house online, would you have multiple buyers? The answer is yes, because we have more buyers than we have inventory. Now, do the people listing it themselves make mistakes? Yes, and what's the most common mistake people make? Price. Price, they overprice it. So that was the old adage, right? It's like, hey, we're, you know, what's, the, what's for sale by owner? You know, it's, it's overpriced, for sale by overpriced, nine times right? Out of nine times out of 10, because they wouldn't listen to the agents, all right? But now we've got buyers who believe Zillow is God, and they think if Zillow says it, it must be true. And so now sometimes that Zestimate is becoming reality, even though we know the numbers aren't there for it. The house has a compromise factor. But we're, we're in a different market where... You know, buyers have information that they need help with to understand that it's not accurate. Buyer's agency because. is the advocacy right now. Right. And the buyer's agents cannot work with 15 buyers at, at one time. I'm or maybe Jackie can. I'm trying. <laughs> Back to your weepy, weepy self, yeah, which the... reminds me, though, of, a, I mean, this doesn't speak to that exactly, but again, very, very early on in my career, just that character. Widow, um, had been married for 45 years, uh, children born in the house, grew up in the house, yep, yep. whatever. She didn't weep. She didn't weep at all. It was all very, and she was moving from here to California to be with her children. She was at that stage in life. She needed family close. Absolutely fine until it came time to move out of the house. And then did the, she couldn't do hit it. the fan. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And had an absolute meltdown. So I know that's not exactly what your question no, but was. I think, but it, yeah, it, um, yeah. I tend to work with older clients. And so I've run into a couple of situations where, unfortunately, sadly, the widow has to sell and didn't realize when her husband was ill that the finances were what they were. And so she's got to do it sooner than, you know, uh, certainly a therapist would recommend. And it's tough. It's really it's, tough. But that's not dissimilar to divorce situations mm -hmm. also, right? Because uh -huh. there's somebody who has to move that isn't 
really on board with the decision mm-hmm. to move, like mm-hmm. in their whole heart. Yeah, yeah. And, and when, I think it's that's so. It's a very similar sort yeah, of yeah, uh, yeah. emotional journey, yeah. honestly. So patience and the same. Uh, yes, <laughs> listening. <laughs> So listening. what I'm hearing is that there can be arguments made as to how hard listing agents work and how hard buyer's agents work. But at the end of the day, I, I could not, in good conscience, unless I have financial outlay, justify not splitting my commission 50-50. Okay. Well, I think, um, I, I don't know if we're agreeing to disagree or if I can just say it, it clearly depends on the agent and we are given the right to decide as long as the firm we're working for is on board with whatever decision we make Which is about absolutely that. as it should be. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I also remember a time when it was that Raleigh was uh, paying out, you know, Raleigh always did. 2.4%. They're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a 3.6, 2.4 and we retaliated. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to I want to um, circle back because I forgot to do market update with you at the beginning, and you started to touch on it. But before we do that, let me give you one last client comment from a seller. Well, no one gave me anything when I bought this place, so I'm not giving the buyers a cent, even though I know the house does in fact need repairs. Well, the first part is if you know the house need repairs. You have to disclose or fix. And you will be paying for it one One way way or or the other. other. One way or the other. And I will add, or what I add to that, is if you allow them to do the math on what it's going to cost them, it's going to be more. So buckle up. (laughs) Buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) For a ride. (laughs) All right. Okay, you guys, what is going on in the market right now? The fall air has blown in and other things are changing too. Interest rates are up. Temperatures are down. Inventory is still kind of non-existent, but... I don't have that many buyers either. You are apparently are carrying like 15. So I'm going to say that I think it has never been more crucial to work with a, an experienced agent that does a lot of business because they are going to be ahead of the curve in understanding when a shift is happening. Somebody who just does a little bit here and a little, or if you're one of those agents that does a little bit here and a little bit there, talk to agents that do a high volume of business because they have their finger on the pulse. And I think it is crucial. It is, I have, I have experienced a shift in just the last few weeks. Something has, and I'm, I'm not even quite sure what it is yet. I think we were discussing this before we started the podcast, that due diligence amounts are still, I, I felt like they did actually come down for a while there. Now they're going back up because people are less uh, less on board with paying the huge amounts over asking. They don't see the appreciation happening the way it was, so they're not as comfortable thinking that if they're going to have to sell this in five years, they don't want to be underwater. It's, it's also not free money anymore. And it's not free money, right. So if you mm-hmm. can make your mark by putting the money that you're going to put into the house anyway with the seller and, and stand out from the competition, do it that way, don't overpay for the house. And then the other thing I think, and I have seen this in, in the social media that I that follow and other agents uh, is, is definitely being reflected to me, it has to be turnkey. It has to be turnkey. 
People and, do not want to spend any money on anything. And this is where the listing agents are going to be earning their keep. And this is where a listing agent, like if I'm working as your your basic GC because I've got the painter, I've got the flooring guy, I've got the landscaper coming in, I'm coordinating all of these guys to get your house on the market as quickly as possible. Yes, possibly if I'm spending all that advanced time doing it, I might want a little bit more in commission. But the house has to be turnkey. Yeah. <laughs> or... You have to understand that we have to price it so we'll price aggressively, it mm-hmm. so yeah. aggressively mm-hmm. that somebody's willing to take it on themselves. Okay. Yeah. But something something changed three or four weeks ago. I mean, it it and uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say about six weeks ago. But okay. yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Rec- very recently. recently. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we're sitting here in mid-October, just in case our listeners are wondering when we're recording this. Thank you so much. Next month, I'm going to interview Ochar Leadership, and then I hope to talk to you guys again in December. Awesome. Isn't that weird? December. Are we going to, are we going to do the question thing? Oh, I hope so. I mean, I, that, there's I some agents so. I know who, who definitely yeah. want to be. Ochar audience, we're hoping to do an episode where we invite a good number of you into wherever we're sitting at the time to ask our panel of experts questions. So uh, I'll be working on trying to pull that together. It does involve a little more um, sophisticated recording equipment than we presently have. So we'll, we'll work on that. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Fun as always. Take Thank care. You. <laughs>